0: Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatik.
1: Welcome to the CRE Podcast, Episode 9. I am Adam Pawatik and my co-host, as always, is Aaron Cameron. Our guest today is Sean Fleming. He's the Vice President of Acquisitions at Metropia. He's uh, been involved in 30 residential and mixed-use projects in Toronto and Calgary for a total of 12,000 residential units, a quarter million square feet of commercial, and most importantly and interesting to us as lenders is he's arranged $1 billion of project financing. Welcome to the show, Sean.
2: Thanks for having me. Just for, for everyone out listening, we're going to try to try to focus a little bit on Calgary today and, and prove that we're not uh, we're not Toronto-centric. Um, Metropia, I guess, how many projects do you guys have uh, spread out? I mean, let's just start nationally uh, and what markets you're in. Um, I know Toronto and Calgary are one. Are you in any, any other markets than those two?
0: Nope, just Toronto and Calgary currently. Okay. So. And how
2: many in Toronto? How many in Calgary?
0: We have uh, three projects in Calgary, and we have about 15 in Toronto. Okay. okay. So a little bit more Toronto-weighted, Centric. but we have... You know, we've we've got projects in all uh, levels of the cycle in Calgary where we've completed them, we're under construction, and ones we haven't started yet.
2: So, Sean, do you want to start with when you started at Metropia and and, and kind of how you got to
0: where you are today? Sure. So, I started with Metropia the day they started Metropia, which is exciting. I was uh, called by the person who formed Metropia, Howard Sokolowski. Um, He was formerly the uh, co-founder and CEO of uh, Tribute Communities created Metropia uh, about seven years ago. Um, He called me, I was working at Altus Group uh, at the time. Um, Previous to that, I was at Crestford Developments where I did financing, acquisitions. Um, I ran the operations for a little bit. I did various things until about 2008 when the world kind of stopped with Lehman Brothers and uh, we stopped selling units and we didn't know what to do. And I took a shift in my career at that point to Altus Group, uh, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to kind of make a change. And I worked with Altus for two years doing restructuring projects uh, through kind of the, the down cycle. So looking at, you know, bad debt and working with the special loans groups at the various banks to help them, you know, try to recover as much capital as they could. And then I got a call from Howard and Howard was starting Metropia, you know, it was this unbelievable list of people behind Metropia, uh, Tony Morrow from who was president of Tridel was with him. Uh, the Sorbera family was with him, the the Latner family was with him. Um, And it just seemed like a really exciting opportunity to be in on the ground floor of this new company. So, uh, you know, that was seven years ago. And I've, you know, done sort of everything uh, at Metropia. Currently, we've grown our team to, you know, 15 people and we're, I'm more focused on uh, new acquisitions.
2: Okay. So, and you said you you had 18 projects on the go right now and and
0: how many completed, I guess, just to start. Um, completed. I mean, we took over some of, uh, some projects that were at different stages. So, um, you know, we worked with, uh, basis and Plaza Corp at Emerald Park and that's a completed project, um, exhibit at Avenue and Bloor is, is, you know, effectively completed. People will be moving in next month. We had some, uh, work to do on some of the tribute projects that we were responsible for. We have, um, a project in Calgary called university city that we've completed. That's uh, 750 units and uh, you know, four buildings with some townhouses. And then the other projects we have are either under construction or under development.
1: That's a lot of projects for a pretty lean, uh, lean crew, yeah. 15
0: people. We, we have a lot of strategic partners. Like we, we don't, we only have a few projects where we're the entire development uh, group. We, you know, we work with, it's sort of a a philosophy Howard brings with them from Tribute that, uh, you know, you're sort of stronger together. And so we work with Sorbera Group. We work with uh, Rio Can. We work with uh, Basis Plaza Corp, Context Developments. Um, you know, and we've got some new groups that were, you know, we haven't announced projects yet, but there's some new partnerships we've got as well. Um, we have a couple of projects with Minto, projects with Kyle Moore. And then in Calgary, we've got a local group uh, called Knightsbridge that uh, we work with. Pretty heavily in uh, Calgary. All of our Calgary projects to date have been with Knightsbridge. And it, what, what would drive? Just honing in on
2: that for a second, like what would drive the 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 relationships? Is it that you, you know you have a parcel of land and, and let's say uh, you want to build you know a mixed use development, so you want to approach somebody that's got more experience in one particular component of the asset, or? Uh, vice versa they've got they've got land and they need some expertise that you can offer i mean how does how do the partnerships get formed in the first place, or is it just by virtue of the size and scope sometimes that you just need more people involved because they're just they're just there's just
0: the need for the additional equity i It's a bit of both it's um it's sort of project specific, but you know sometimes we'll identify the opportunity and we'll assemble the land and then you know we will think about who the right strategic partnership is um When would you decide to go on alone? Um, we went alone. Uh, the first time we went alone was at the Rocket. I mean, it's a a new project for us. And what's um, what is that? Just the so Rocket to... is a is a condo. It's a two hundred ninety one unit condo up at um, uh, Wilson and Avenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we launched for sale uh, just in May of last year and um, did sort of like a micro unit uh, strategy there. How and, small is a micro? Um, I think you know, like the the two bedrooms were. 500 square feet uh, two bedrooms and uh, you know the the one bedrooms were in the fours okay. and we didn't have any uh, any three bedrooms they were all small units it was sort of a you know we had zoning for more and it was a decision to sort of respond to the market and affordability and uh, we sort of shaved the building down on both sides making it more inefficient and much smaller but you know we got these sort of powerful unit sizes and these powerful prices it was sort of the majority of the units were under 300,000, which is, you know, and you're, you're right on the subway. So it, it just seemed like the right decision on that project. Um, and, and sorry, just back to, we finished that thought. Why, why did you not include any partners on that? We would have, we bought the land. So our partnership Lake had bought the land from build Toronto and had done all the zoning work on the site, And so we bought it from them to do the condo portion. There's another part of the project. That's a rental building that they're going to own long term and it just wasn't a large project. It was sort of small enough that we were comfortable doing it. And, you know, seven years in, we've got the team now to kind of execute it. Um, when we first started out, we would always try to find, uh, other organizations that would sort of supplement our team when there was two of us and five of us and eight of us. And sure. now, now we're at a place where we could do it ourselves if we want. Um, and it's a much more powerful place to be, but there is strategic partnerships that always sort of. You work. sometimes
2: look at it and say, "Well, this is a home run of a deal. Let's let's not let's hold on to this one ourselves. I don't want to sh- I don't
0: want to share the yield on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely course, right. But our thing, I mean, Howard's philosophy and it's served him well is you know it's not a sprint; it's a marathon. So he always thinks that you know bringing someone into that type of deal is just going to be good long term. They might have some amazing deal down the road that you know they think of us and what we did. And it's part of that's a
2: volume game too, right? If you're, if you're sharing it, it means you can do two projects rather than one or get, get, get involved in two projects. Is, is that part of the motivation?
0: Yeah, it's risk diversification. It's, you know, being involved in more, uh, more deals. And yeah, if you have one that doesn't perform as well as you thought, then, you know, you have a lot more that might have done better. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been our strategy and it's, it's been working. I, this is more of a macro
2: question, just because it came to my mind. How many major players are there? You would say in the development world. Let's stick to Toronto and Calgary, if you can speak to that too. Maybe maybe those are two different questions. But how many? I mean, is it ten?
0: Is it fifty? Is it one hundred and fifty? I just I have no concept. I would say in Calgary it's a little smaller. There's sort of the local groups that have been there for years and years and years, and it was really for a long time in Calgary a a low rise game. Uh, There was quite a bit of sprawl. There was no sort of, you know, green belt or just, you know, physical limitations like Vancouver, um, that stopped people from just building, um, you know, the new mayor, the new planning group really wants to, to build up density in Calgary. So they've, they've encouraged, um, groups coming in with, with sort of high rise experience. And, And you have a lot of Vancouver and Toronto guys coming into Calgary that know how to do high rise that, you know, see the opportunities of building right downtown. And we were definitely one of those groups. Um, so I'd say in Calgary, the number is probably, I'd say, 20 groups. I mean, there, there's so many groups at so many scales, but I'd say at the scale that we work yeah,
2: at... Yeah, I would consider the major players, let's say, right? The guys yeah. that they can they can chew off a, a sizable development. For, yeah,
0: I'd say maybe 15 to 20 in Calgary. And then Toronto, I mean, it seems to be getting smaller as the projects get more complex and, and get bigger. And um, it seems like it's a smaller and smaller group. I'd say Toronto, you're probably... 30? Yeah, there's less low-hanging fruit. You yeah. know, the, the previous guest
2: we've had talking about condo developments, it's just there there isn't the availability of land anymore, right? It's just it's becoming way more competitive.
1: So trying and to squeak it, out the uh, average yeah, is going to be yeah, uh, trickier. A, yeah, um,
2: sticking to Calgary, just you made a comment that, that the, um, the regime there is, has tried to incent, incent you know, more, more density. What kind of things are they doing to, to
0: encourage developers from, from other
2: parts of the country to come in and, and, and build there?
0: So, I mean, one of the things, uh, the specific example I have is uh, we have a project there called N3. The city sold the land to us specifically because we were willing to try to do a no-parking building. And that was encouraged by the city and in a city that's known for cars because of the sprawl and because of just the (laughs) culture there. I mean, we joke that at 16, you get given a Ford Bronco in Calgary. But I think that, you know, more more gas consumption, right? That's uh, maybe (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think about that. Yeah. The but, you know, they've built this LRT. They spent a lot of money on this LRT in the city. In the city, it's actually free. So if you're within the city, you know proper boundary, you don't have to pay to go on their LRT. Wow, I didn't know that. So we were part of a an area called East Village. The city took a huge area of Calgary, sort of, you know, did the master plan, carved it up, built the streets, built the benches, built the parks, and then started going out to solicit builders. And you've got groups like Bosa there with RioCan. You've got us. You've got Fram. You've got TriCon. You've got guys there that are sort of from, you know, other areas of the, of the world. our site is in, is in East village has no parking and they were willing to give us a shot on the site because we were willing to go for it with no parking. And, um, you know, it was successful. We sold, and, and it's under construction. And um, How, What was the absorption like? I mean, I,
2: I know from a financing perspective, we see developments uh, occasionally with no parking, and it's immediately like, uh-oh. Like, I'm not, I'm not confident that this is going to be successful, simply because in my mind, and maybe this is just wrong, but um, if I'm moving into a condo or investing in a condo, I I you know, I never know if I'm going to need a car if I, you know, I lose my job or my company moves from one location to another all of a sudden now I got to drive. I'm I just bought a condo with no parking space like that that's presumably pretty limiting.
0: Well I think there's I think there's two answers and so there's there's one about what the city will let you do. The city in Toronto is very fearful of a no parking tower. The only one that's ever been done was done by my boss at RCMI and it's the city worries that if i don't let you if i don't make you build parking all your residents are going to have parking and they're going to park next to the single family home down the street and i'm going to get phone calls mm-hmm. and that's really i think the the background of the fear of a no parking building in toronto economically do the, ten, the
2: tenants still have cars they're just not they're parking them elsewhere they're, they're going to find point, another yeah. place
0: to park them and i personally don't believe that i think that the younger generation who's looking at condos i think you have less and less and less with cars i think you've got alternatives like uber i think that you know very soon in our lifetime we're going to have autonomous vehicles. I think that parking is not needed, but it really is specific. So if we're attached to a subway, so e-condos, we're attached to not just the subway, but we have a direct connection to the LRT when it's when it's built. The city let us there build 30% parking. We would have built nothing if we could have. 30% as, from, in, from, yeah. as, in, as in point three
2: point three spaces per, per unit? Correct, correct. yeah, okay. correct.
0: Is, when you say, when you, say uh, you would have built none,
1: is that because from a return basis, if you remove... Underground parking from a construction budget, and in, in terms of what they brings in in uh, in uh, revenue, it's, it definitely improves the performance of
0: buildings. Absolutely. So it's and again, it's very specific. Like we have exhibit where we sold parking at sixty eight thousand dollars, and we've got you know the rocket where it was you know twenty five thousand dollars. So there's there's a market for parking just as much as there is for the unit, and you know it typically costs about fifty thousand dollars to build a parking spot, and that's just revenue versus cost. But then when you take into account the time it takes to build down and build up. You know, the parking takes sort of a uh, you know month per floor down, a month well, and, and floor that's back. the
2: most treacherous part of any development is digging down in the first place, right? It's, yeah, it's 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 well, I well, remember our, our John English said that sort of eighty percent of the risk is in is in that initial first step of going down. Yeah. Um. So this this development in Calgary. Did the the, the city kind of say, okay, we're going to allow you to do this without without the the parking, and therefore I know you're going to get uh, it's going to be cheaper for you to build, but we want to see that reflected in the price of the units. I mean, are they are they anticipating or or mandating that? That it gets reflected in the cost per square foot of what you're selling.
0: Yeah. So the city, the concept was was ours, and the city was supportive of it, and that was something the city came back with. They wanted to see that we were passing that savings on to the end buyer, which we were. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have return thresholds, and it's. I, I mean, I, I think that it's naive to think there's any sort of price setting happening. I mean, people will pay what they're going to pay for yeah, a unit with no parking yeah. at this location. It's worth what it's worth, regardless of what it cost me to build it, regardless of how long. But. We did. We were because of the actual savings able to sell for less and still meet our returns. And it was it was a powerful story, and um, I think it worked well. And so when's that supposed to be completed? That one is going to be completed in about six months. Oh wow! Well. So pretty quick done. construction yeah. timeline because it's not a huge building. It's uh, it's you know twelve or thirteen stories, and it's got no parking. So it's it's much faster than your typical development because of that. In terms of uh, in terms of Calgary, are you looking at new sites now? We are. I think that, you know, that the world has changed in Calgary in the last couple of years since oil prices changed. I think that, you know, you got an economy that's thirty-five percent reliant on one industry, and when you have that industry take a hit, it, it hurts. Um it's affecting people's jobs, it's affecting their confidence, it's it's delaying purchase decisions. So I think that the market is is hurt right now. I don't know when I think the big question everyone's asking is when does it come back? I think everyone's confident it will come back. It's just a question of when. I would say not at the minute looking at Calgary because I'm not sure that I'm not sure that it's sort of the right opportunity. I think that, you know, right now people in Calgary looking for value plays um, someone who's sort of overextended and, and sort of needs to sell a property and sort of a real value proposition. But We're not seeing that yet. Um, I think there's a lot of people in that boat that they're sort of like vultures
2: sort of circling, waiting for it to kind of bottom out. But I I get the feeling just talking to to other investors, whether it's on the development side or or not, that they're still not. Quite sure that we've reached bottom I, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd I've got I've got my something December 5th or so CMHC releases their 2016 apartment apartment vacancy rate data and that's something it's, I'm really it's curious it is, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, it's, it's one of those things I'm really curious to see what their what their what their information what their research comes back because right now it's at five and a half percent vacancy in an apartments and I think it's probably going to come back at like 10 or 12 you know I, I, I it, and that to me just kind of speaks to the fact that there's still sort of this mass exodus that there's still a decrease in population growth, which which is you know a, a big driver of the economy, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think that it's it's, I, I might be getting worse, but it, it just is. It's prolonged. It's sort of ha- however long this goes, it, it sort of inevitably gets worse because you have a lot of families relying on this industry, and they're going to find alternatives. There's a lot of people waiting, and then you know there's there's still people with with lots of jobs, but you know I don't I don't think there's any urgency to buy a condo right now. Like the urgency in In Toronto is there. It's, It's there in Vancouver. It's sort of like the market is moving. And if you're not in, you're going to miss it. And that sort of, you know, helps us sort of helps people inform some of the buying decisions. In Calgary, I think you've got people that are saying, why wouldn't I just wait six months? Yeah. It's not going to be more expensive. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not and, sure and, they're wrong. And
2: presumably that you you, you leave one you leave one apartment to another, and your rent's going to come down, you know, thirty percent, right? Just because right. that's just where the market is right now. So if I can if I can save that money and cash flow and put it away, if you're good at putting it away, then you're just you know making it a better situation for yourself. The big gift, though, that's yeah, a- yeah. <laughs> in a perfect world, you're putting it away.
0: Yeah.
1: The um, um, in terms of construction, has your labor cost gone down for your ongoing projects?
0: Um, in Calgary or in Toronto? Calgary. I so bet. Calgary, I would say yes, uh, because we were always second in uh, construction to the oil and gas industry. So we were always, you know, not the trade's first choice. And um, now I think that, you know, there's a little bit more attention on us and it's, it's gone down. So
2: you were originally in Toronto. What was the what was the motivation to move to Calgary in the first place? To to start to I mean, you were you on the acquisition side at that point? Or were you involved in sort of decision making? Like let's diversify, let's get out of our, our mono market and, and find somewhere else. So and we, why Calgary? I guess so.
0: A few things. So we have a strong relationship with RioCan, and there was an opportunity to help them uh, redevelop their Brentwood Mall. So they had this you know pretty typical big box mall uh, in Calgary, right across from the University of Calgary and there was a you know an intent by Riocan to you know make it a little bit more mixed use add some residential units so we had an opportunity to do that project and it was sort of of a scale that it it worked and then it doesn't hurt that Howard has a very strong relationship with this group Knightsbridge in Calgary and so he had a logical on the ground partner so um, when I joined Howard he was just finalizing that deal and you know then I spent a lot of time in Calgary helping them sort of you know, do this project. The, the Knightsbridge before that was more of a single family home uh, builder, but Howard had the experience at high rise and I had the experience at high rise that we were able to help them kind of, you know, build this first transit oriented uh, development in Calgary that kind of became a flagship. And it was a uh, you know, very successful project for us. And so you
2: just decided to, to stay in the market.
0: Yeah. We had sort of created this relationship and created these systems with Knightsbridge and, you know, Knightsbridge was uh, key in, Helping us get this East Village site, it's a local builder, and that's sort of you know the city wanted to support that, and so yeah, the relationships just sort of gone from there. Like like a lot of our relationships, we don't normally do a deal with someone once and then right. and then that's yeah. it. So the other
1: factor, I'm sure, was that uh, oil is probably north of hundred dollars a barrel at that point, so it's a yeah different uh, different economy.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's lots of benefits in Calgary. Like it's it's interesting. Like they have. Um, the builder doesn't pay HST on the unit. I mean, there's, there's no HST. There's PST, but it's the, it's the purchaser. So if you buy a $500,000 unit, we get $500,000. There's no sort of you know loss of 6% of revenue. There's no occupancy period. They just move right in. There's lots of interesting benefits uh, in Calgary that, that, that don't exist here. You know, there's no Section 37. There's no major development charges. There's a really willing planning group who's excited to see density and are all for helping you get there. it's just it's 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 a lot of ways it's been an interesting process just in that sense that you see this group and I know that a lot of builders in Calgary aren't excited about this planning group because they're they're trying to build you know their their low rise homes, which you know makes absolute sense and that's their business model. But when we brought our Toronto business model to Calgary, it worked really well for us. Last episode we had uh, Sean
1: Hildebrand on for urbanation. He talked about how the condo market here is, just uh you know, tightened up in an unbelievably short period of time um what are you seeing from you know the sales side what are you seeing in terms of interest or or competition
0: on sites so when he's saying tightened up is he saying it got better it oh,
1: so sorry uh supply the, the supplies dropped uh sales have picked up yeah. uh prices are increasing rental rates for the investors it was it
2: was really uh, interesting actually cause I, I struggled with that with talking to sean about that because um you know, the, the condo market, it, it, I don't know, maybe it's just anecdotal, but you kind of get the sense that there's just so much to supply coming online. But, you know, he was saying, no, no, I've, I'm my job is to look at the numbers and comb the numbers. And, and, and there is a demand and the demand is strong and the demand is, is uh, increasing is sta- yeah. and stable. I mean, that was really and durable and, and it's not going anywhere. And these prices are going to continue to increase, maybe not at 12, 15 percent, but five, six, seven percent for the foreseeable future. And and so I really was saying, you know, there is no bubble. It's not coming. At, you know, we can keep, providing new units the way we're doing it, if not even more than we're doing it now. Yeah. And there's plenty of absorption for it. And that just surprised me. I mean, if, if anything else, and I made this comment last week, you drive along the garden and you look across the horizon, there's just cranes everywhere and you think this can't be sustainable. But but he's saying, no, no,
0: 100%, don't let it fool you. Right? It absolutely is sustainable. If
1: anything, we need more. Yeah, and, and do assessment. you get the same sense? Like what's, I mean, what's your
0: comment? Since I've started in this industry about 15 years ago, I'd say that we've always needed more. I think between low-rise and high-rise in Toronto – you know, we're able to produce less and less each year as land becomes more scarce. I think you've had a pretty consistent immigration, I guess, philosophy. And, you know, if 300,000 people come into Canada every year, about 80,000, 90,000 are coming to Toronto. And those 80,000, 90,000, you know, you need 40,000 units to, to be built for those people. And we're, we're doing less each year. I think last year we did 26,000. So when you, when you need 40,000, you're producing 26,000. Like, what's going to happen? Like it's, it's, it's the low rise market is almost gone. Um, You know, places to grow, establish this, you know, this green belt, which I believe in, you know, the, the government wanted to decrease infrastructure costs by focusing in a smaller area. You know, you have these low rise builders that are, that are, you know, hopping over the green belt, but a lot of people don't want to drive. And so, you know, you see condos becoming more and more of that, that, that I guess meeting more and more of that demand, but I don't think we can do it. I don't think we've got, the system doesn't work right now to produce that many units every year. The sites we used to buy, we used to buy parking lots. There was parking lots all over the city. You call yeah. the guy who owns it, you buy it from him and you, you put your zoning application in and you know, a year later you have a good sense of what you're getting and you're moving forward. Now it takes upwards of a year to assemble a site, a complex site or go through a public bid process identifying something that no one's seen before. Some guys are specializing in, you know, cleaning up dirty sites. Other guys are specializing in zoning that, you know, other people don't think they can get. And, and the process is now two years to zone. The, the purchase is not a month or three months like it used to be. It's a year in some cases to negotiate some of these difficult properties. So I think that the red tape is just like unbelievable and it's restricting supply. So there's a lot of drivers, you know, land availability, planning process, if we could open up enough sales centers to meet the demand, we would sell them all, and prices probably wouldn't be rising like they are. They're they're rising like they are because there's just less units. Like last year, this time we probably had 100 launches, which is it's a lot of launches. This year, this time we've had about 65, and the, and the the, the projects are getting smaller. It's it's. It's difficult. It's difficult to meet. Know,
2: one of the one of the other things that came up in the urbanation research that, that we were talking about last week is there there was this sense or this belief that, you know, you've got these sort of millennials that come in, they live in these condos for a couple of years, they end up, you know, marrying, have a child and then they leave and they go to the suburbs and that's not what's happening. You've got these, these people now that have lived in a condo five or six years, they're having their first child and they're saying, you know what, I can make this work, I can raise a family in a condo. So they're just, they're just, they're upsizing, they're going from their, their one bedroom, room plus den to a two bedroom and and so the demand or or there's no replacement of the of the demand right, the, right. you know if, if you know what i mean there's not people leaving the market and people coming back in it's just continually growing right yeah
0: and and it's and it's if they can even afford it like buying is this notion that everyone thinks is sort of this right but a lot of the people are just renting. I mean, it's going to become more and more where people just rent their whole lives, like Manhattan and London. Like yeah. a lot of people don't own. I, it's right, an interesting
2: stat: in Germany, like eighty-eight percent of people in Germany rent. Like, yeah, the entire it's a population. A ren- it's a That's like seventy-five million people living in Germany that are renting their their right. house. Right, but
0: here it's just this thing where it's like, oh, oh, you rent. Yeah, it's like this, mm-hmm. this status quo thing. And so it's it, I, I don't know if I it'll change. It'll it has to change. But I, but I think you know the market also responds. So as much as we did a micro unit up at the Rocket. Our last project we just launched um, in the fall was AYC. And so AYC is at Avenue and Davenport. You know, we decided it was more of an end user project. Um, you know, someone who's not transitioning first time buyer, it's more, I'm going to settle down here. And so we well, went. For
1: anybody that doesn't know, that's it's a, a very nice neighborhood uh, based in Toronto. So definitely, definitely track that kind of crowd.
0: Yeah. And, and, and so we went with sort of larger units and so that, you know, we went with over 30% of our units are three bedrooms and, you know, 20% are two bedrooms. So we didn't have a lot of one bedrooms and it sold incredibly well. Cause I think people are saying I'm going to live in a condo and I want to live in this condo. And it's, it, I, I think that the market's going to shift. That are way.
2: you getting um, the per square foot that you thought you would when you're when you're building it? I mean, it, and, and are you are you seeing it similar? Are you selling a one bedroom versus selling a three bedroom? Are you getting the same per square foot value that you that you want, or do you see a slightly de- slight decrease just just from a sticker sticker shock you know, perspective?
0: I think I, I definitely think there's a sticker shock. If we went with smaller units, we would have increased our price per foot. Um, you know, but the end revenue was was worthwhile and it, it it sort of seemed like the right thing to do on the site. But yeah, it's 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 a sticker shock thing. It's just, you know, it's uh, people will pay more for a smaller unit. unit. Yeah. Just, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah.
2: So I'm curious. Let's let's jump into um, the acquisition process. I know that's kind of your that's kind of your, your gig now. And 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 just because we really want to focus just on the difference between Toronto and Calgary, but you know, I know certainly, obviously, you guys are more more focused on the Toronto market. So start there, and then if you can, you know, occasionally bring in the, the compare and contrast with the Calgary market. That'd be interesting. So let's start. I'll I'll, I'll lead that in for you. I mean, what's the what's that's, you want to find a site, right? Someone, you know, your your boss has said, okay, let's go let's go build another one. Where do
0: you start? What do you do? So every day he says, let's go build another one. And that's, that's literally <laughs> what I do. So, I mean, we have low rise, we have high rise. Um, we have Calgary, we have Toronto. There's different strategies for each group. I'd say, you know, quickest is Calgary. Like that, the way of the world right now in Calgary, in my mind, is that we wait. We wait until some sort of value play, something that, that really is a, is a great deal. And the structure is a little bit more acceptable than Toronto. Like you'll have... Sites that will allow you to you know zone it before you close and do things like that that you know doesn't really happen in Toronto. so I think that the the story's got to be good about sort of you know investment in the site increases as we decrease the risk
2: for Calgary, I mean have you kind of scanned the market and said, okay, these are the five locations that we'd be comfortable in and then you you kind of reach out to the brokers and say, okay, like I want these these are the ten sites in these five locations and just keep me apprised of what's going on and, and keep me in the loop. Yeah, how does that work? So I
0: went out to Calgary, we have a broker we work with who's really good and sort of, you know, I said let's let's see what's out there and it didn't seem like any sort of product that we would go after or project we'd go after. Uh, we also have Knightsbridge who's our partner there and they're they're constantly in the market and seeing what's out there and they, they always send me little notes about hey, this is potential. So you're
2: relying on their expertise and their knowledge of the market.
0: Yeah. And just sort of identifying a potential and then we look at it. Would these be off market opportunities or if they, if it can be, yeah. I mean, whatever we can get, I mean, the more market it is, the more competition there is. And so, you know, it's always better here or there to do something where, you know, you're sort of the first mover and you're, you're creating, you know, the, the opportunity as opposed to responding to, you know, a big public bid. But in Toronto, it's very different. It's very hard to find sites, Um, you know, about 10 years ago, just part of the reason Metropia exists, it became much more hard to much more difficult to get low rise sites. And you had these groups out there with these, you know, hundred person teams, two hundred person teams buying sites at numbers that didn't necessarily make sense from a return perspective. They because, had a machine they had to keep feeding. Yeah, they're feeding the machine, which is which I get and I think it's admirable. Now I think you've got the same thing happening in high rise. I think that it's much more difficult to find sites. There's a ton of capital out there looking for deals, looking for a return on the equity side, on the debt side, both. And and I think that you've got guys out there who are really being creative about putting opportunities together. It's tough. It's very tough to get a good deal. You know, your, high, your ideal high-rise has a direct connection to the subway. But, you know, almost every subway is controlled in some way by the development industry because, you know, we figured that out years ago. Now people are going along the Eglinton LRT and buying up everything they can along Eglinton to just get ahead of that one. You know, and then you've got, you know, groups that are being proactive like that. And then you've got other groups who own large pieces of land who are putting them out to bid and getting these, you know, unbelievable prices. I think you're seeing a lot of land come out that way because, you know, we're hitting records on what people are paying for land.
2: How do you find the off market stuff? I mean, you're knocking on doors. Like, what's the the strategy?
0: Knocking on doors. Literally. Yeah. Like it's, I know a guy and, you know, he's doing this and, you know, he knows his neighbor and you know, there's a, there's a whole network of brokers who are out there combing the streets every day, trying to put something together and bring it to us or bring it to anyone that's interested, you know, or it's, or it's, you know, the, the public listings, but the best is when you find it yourself. Um, we're just wrapping up the last deal of an assembly that I spearheaded and it was, um, it's been a year of my life, but it's, it's an off market deal. And it's, uh, it's, it's great when you can do that. It's not very common these days.
2: the uh, The land assembly can get competitive. Could it not? Like, let's say you have two different developers that identify a corner and they buy one standalone property and you buy the other. And yeah. there's two others, and now you get into a bidding war. Is that how often does that happen? That all the you're, you're you're just in com-
0: competition. So you're, you're trying to get in there and, and lock it up as quickly as possible. Absolutely. And and you go for the strategic piece that controls the corner or controls the block you're trying to assemble. It's, you know, it's it's like a puzzle and understanding it and sort of where the end goal is and what it looks like is important, but we have that uh, challenge every day. And then normal evaluation metrics go
1: out the window, and it's all about what it adds to your site. And uh, the current owner probably gets very happy when there's a bidding war going on that's not based on uh, you know normal investment. Yeah, it's not, it's
2: not cash flow based, that's for sure. No.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. no. So if there, if there is like a large public offering, how excited do you get? Is it going to be just a, a bunch of sharks circling, or is it... Uh
0: I mean, we get really excited. We've done really well in large public offerings. We bought York Downs Golf Course off a large public offering. We bought um, Lawrence Heights with Context off large public offering. We bought AYC off a large public offering. So it's not out of our comfort zone, but you got to be creative. You got to know a little bit more than the other guy. You got to have done a little bit more homework. I think that that's important so that you know how to maintain your discipline because it gets crazy. People get, you know, you spend six months on a site, eight months on a site, you're in round one, two, three, four, five. And then every time you're increasing your number, it's it's challenging to sort of maintain that discipline to say, I can't go past this point. Um if I push it a little bit I'm gonna get it. If I don't, then I'm I'm I spend all this. And you
2: always have in the back of your head like what are they seeing that I'm not seeing? If they're comfortable going into a higher higher uh, a higher
0: loan purchase, a higher purchase,
2: do you think wonder, you know, maybe they're doing something different that I should be doing?
0: Always. Always. You're trying to see if you missed anything. You're trying to think of something that they didn't think of. I mean, that's a huge part of it.
1: You mentioned York Downs. That was a four hundred million dollar purchase, was it not? Yeah. That was a really large project. Aaron, are you familiar with that one? Mm-hmm. So it primarily is not
0: is a golf course.
1: How many acres total?
0: Uh, it's about three hundred and fifty acres. Yeah, and where's it located? Uh, it's in the heart of Markham. So the interesting thing about that is Markham's sort of this you know suburb of Toronto, but it's got sort of like a real sort of like a like a Chinese kind of area, like the 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 Chinese the strong market Asian market there. Absolutely, absolutely it's, yeah. it's, it's 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 a really strong market. You got houses in Markham, you know, selling for one five one six and for, you know, like a similar price that you would get in downtown Toronto. So it's it's really appealing. And the interesting thing about York Downs was the, it was an equity golf course. So the golfers came together and said, we want to list it. And it's in uh, Markham proper. So there's no, um, you know, each city has sort of these growth targets. And so the new sites, when they're expanding their urban boundary, have, you know, a certain amount of high rise they got to put on, a certain mid rise, certain amount of stacks. And, you know, when you get into, into markets like that, High rises aren't generally that successful currently. Markham is an exception. You can have a high rise in Markham, no problem. But this one was in the urban boundary. And so, you know, it was sort of up to us what we got to put on it. And so obviously in an area like that, single family homes, you know, semis, towns, those sort of things are, are what we're looking at. But um, yeah, it's a great opportunity. And we, we won by paying the most. How did you how did you finance the purchase? If you don't mind me
2: since you know we both Adam and I work at, at a financing company.
0: So there was a VTB provided by the golfers. Mm-hmm. They wanted the right to stay in golf for five years, and so part of that is uh, is they took back an individual you know mortgage uh, well, on the purchase.
1: How much of the purchase price would each golfer have received?
0: I I don't know if I know that. I know that uh, there's a 160 million dollar VTB on the purchase. Uh, I don't know which like how many golfers there was to know how much each person got but uh, they probably made off pretty well though the the golfers did phenomenally phenomenally it was sort of the the talk of the town uh, yeah the the
1: the golf gambling for the following couple years have been very uh, very active
0: well yeah i know you've seen a lot more golf courses come out for sale so board of trade just got released a couple days ago uh, another golf course it's 100 acres net developable in the center of woodbridge i mean that's going to be the same thing it's the golfers deciding that this is the right time right which is a little scary like is it is it everyone saying now I got to sell cuz this is this is the market it's yeah, sort of- the,
2: the golfers out there are shedding tears right cuz it's just you got to drive that much further and it takes up that much more time just to find a decent round of golf in this city these days.
0: Yeah and and you have guys like, you know, like like Ray Sahi who, you know, when it, when he when he did his takeover of Club Link, I was sort of scratching my head saying, what what's he doing? And now I'm like this guy's brilliant. I mean, he bought these golf courses years ago by just controlling the company that controls them. And he's got all these great sites that are in these amazing areas and he can identify which ones are, for him, if that's what he's thinking, yeah. long-term play, right? Yeah, it's yeah. great yeah. and revenue-producing in the meantime. Yeah, it's a holding income. So yeah. let's just keep keep moving on
2: this. You now you lock the site down. What's the next step? I mean, I'm so, presumably so, when you're when you're even just looking at sites to begin with, you've already got an idea of what you want to build. But how how deep into that process do you get, or do you really just sort of back of a napkin? We could build this. We could build this many units. Like maybe we'll get this kind of yield. Or do you go go deep and you, engage architects and all that kind of thing?
0: Yes, you go as deep as you can. It, it sometimes you don't get given the time to do it properly. Properly, but when you can do it properly you can know what you can spend so we had full site plans full you know unit designs we had you know a, a countless amount of pro formas that talked about timing and all of that stuff and this is
2: before we've actually locked up the land
0: yeah yeah I mean we had that was how we determined what we could pay and then the big question was revenue it all in low rise it's all driven by revenue and so you know, working backwards from, you know, your revenue to a residual land value. And we were able to be really creative about the site plan and get a little bit more like linear front footage than I think others did. And I think that's one of the ways we were able to pay a little bit more. And we took a bit of a gamble on this one on the market. We said, you know, we said at the time I can sell a house for this and we think that it's going to go up a little bit. We didn't, we weren't overly aggressive, but we, we pushed it a little bit. I mean, now a year after a year and a bit after the purchase, it, it's gone up you so cons- much more. You,
2: you were conservative in your estimations, it yeah. sounds like.
0: At the time, everyone was like, you guys are crazy. Your performers are nuts. What are you thinking? And now it's like, you guys are brilliant. Yeah. But that's just the market. Like that, We would have been okay if it stayed flat. We got lucky with an increase, and that's just you know part of what's happening.
1: Yeah, buying on tomorrow's prices is always uh, a little risky. But when you're getting year-over-year year growth in the 12 30% range it uh it seems to
0: make sense again but that's what's happening now in high rise so the all everyone's sitting there scratching their head saying how do these land prices make sense on high rise people are buying on tomorrow's pricing they know it's a two year zoning process they know that there's a restriction on supply and they're banking on an extra 20 25 50 bucks a foot and they're getting the land on that and and you know we'll see where it all goes cuz these are all land trades that have happened in the last you know year or two but it seems like it's working for those that did it mm hmm at yeah, some point, the music might stop, but uh, it hasn't happened in a long time. So, Yeah,
2: yeah well, according to some of, the, some of the reports these days, it doesn't sound like it is. It sounds like it's just going to get more expensive.
0: I, I don't see how it goes down. I mean, I think interest rates are always that key factor. If interest rates start moving, then you have a real affordability issue. But I really don't see how it stops. Like, I, I, I don't. I, I... It
2: Sounds like it's certainly not by oversupply.
0: No, I think, it, I think maybe if there was a little bit more like of a understanding of what you're buying, like a prescriptive zoning or something like that, that sort of says, okay, I know on this side I can get 12 stories. And, and that means that the process is six months instead of two years. Then I think you'd have, um, probably, a, like a decrease in, 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 uh, I guess cost like end revenue for the, for the buyer and cost for the buyer. But right now it's, you can't find enough land. You can't sell enough condos. The demand's there.
2: So before we get, before we move on to our final segments, um, Sean, I just want, I'm curious what your approach to financing is and, and, um, you know, maybe it's case by case, but if you need to speak to it, I'm curious on the land side, uh, and then finally once you get the zoning and and approvals in place, what you do for construction financing.
0: Project financing. I mean, we sort of have a really great relationship with, um, a number of Schedule A banks. We work largely with Royal Bank. We have loans with CIBC, with Scotia, TD, you know, it's, it's a, a lot of it, I think, has to do with our reputation and Howard's specific rep- reputation coming out of Tribute that we have such strong banking relationships. And it's it's not difficult for us to get a loan. It's just, I guess, the way of our, our composition. It's, are
2: it's- you aggressive in your
0: leverage? I mean, I, today
2: it seems like everyone's looking for 80, 85, 90, 95% of, of construction costs, and they're just trying to squeeze out every last penny, right? Well, in, the, what, you know, in a world where
1: uh, you know, yields
2: are diminishing,
1: elevate the leverage and you get a higher return. And part so, of
2: that is too, is back to the comment of just feeding the machine. If you've got 200 guys on the ground, if you can get a couple extra percentage points on your leverage, maybe that allows you to do one more deal this year. Right. So,
0: well, I think that on the, on the, the debt side, the construction loans and, um, and I guess the, the deposit bonding, we, I don't think we've changed our philosophy. We sort of listen to the bank and say, what are you guys comfortable with on the equity side? I think we're starting to get a little bit more creative. Um, our group is very well capitalized. So we don't, generally talk about sort of uh, partners with like pension funds or any of that. But lately it's, it's sort of been more prominent. I think you've got land prices that are, that are difficult for us to get our sort of equity returns that we're expecting. And you've got groups that are willing to accept a lower return for that same equity risk. So I think that there's a lot of conversations that our group happening about partners on which project to sort of, you know, help us increase our equity returns on the, on the bank side, you know, it's it, for us, it's business as usual. There are some very aggressive banks out there who are calling us and saying, "We'll let you do less guarantee. We'll do bigger loan to value. We'll do, we'll do um, less fees, less rates." Are but, they doing
2: things like, you know, we don't need, we don't need, you know, 100% liquidation pre-sales, or we'll do it without any pre-sales, or,
0: or you know, and
2: that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, or
0: like we'll give you a land loan and just get us the construction lending. We've been pretty loyal to our guys, and it's, uh, it's one of the things that I think will be a success factor if the world changes. You know, staying loyal and not sort of when the world's rosy that we kind of ditch them and and go on to somebody who's going to give us a one percent better rate. That's sort of a philosophy we have. It's I think it's paid off in the past, and and I I think if the world does change, it'll pay off again. But I think the interesting thing that's happening in the world of financing right now is just on this. Sort of equity financing, you know. That, yeah, that. we
2: get asked all the time for for mezz for mez pieces, right? Which is sort of that that tweener, you know, debt debt equity, and we register them as mortgages. So effectively, it is debt, but yeah. it's it's high yielding, right? So yeah. it's um.
0: I think you got a lot of people in that world. I think you got pension funds that are understanding it and partnering with developers because, as we said, there's not that many players out there who are doing this, and there's even fewer deals. So when there's a deal that happens, I think that. You, as the owner of that deal, have a lot of options of how you can sort of, you know, do different financings that help you get a better return for your investors if that's something you choose to do. And a lot of guys are doing that. And I think it's one of the reasons that that land prices are going up.
2: It's more affordable to find financing, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. you have prices to like, always go
0: from there. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of guys that they're willing to take you know, not a huge amount of, uh, of interest, I think. And, 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 you know, and that's their business. I think they're really smart guys and I think they're guys that maybe know less about the business, but you know, we, we try to work with the guys who understand the business and understand the risks and, and they charge an appropriate rate. We're about 40 minutes
2: in. I think we should move to the next, um, next segment. Do you want to talk about your best
0: and worst day? Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> I've, I've been thinking about this for days. I don't know what my best and worst day is. The best day, I mean it's I love my job. I love what I do every day. I'm challenged by it. I'm in a group of very smart individuals and I'm we're constantly having these unbelievable discussions and strategies that we're able to execute pretty easily. So I love every day. You know, I had I had a day a couple of years ago where, you know, the Metropia partners, these guys who are, you know, heroes of mine, decided that I was gonna be sort of, you know, part of the company and a partner and that sort of things And, and that that was a great day because that was sort of this, you know, this vote of confidence from these people that I just think the world of. And, um, that was a great day. I don't think that that's, you know, we do lots of great deals and I, 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 I'm going to close the deal today, but, um, you know, those are good days too. But I think that that one day about sort of understanding the value I bring to the table was, was great. The worst day I, I remember the worst day, but it was, it was, um, it was, uh, a partnership that we had built um, and we had done a couple projects together. I, I don't even want to go into the... I don't know if I can even say this. <laughs> I, let's just say I spent about eight months on an acquisition of a site that I thought we were going to be partners in and we weren't. Yeah. And the way that happened was uh, pretty disheartening for me and um, I just think uh, it just sort of kind of opened my eyes. I know that we're in a business of, you know, sort of sharks and it's business but... We really pride ourselves on relationships. We would never do anything like that, and uh, it was really tough. Did you to learn have, uh,
2: anything? I mean, aside from you know not to trust that, that group of people, but did you learn like you know how do I make sure this doesn't happen to us again? Oh
0: yeah, I do things so differently now than yeah. I did
2: then. Um, Get things in writing. Everything sort of yeah. yeah.
0: Everything's it's it's not even in writing. It's just legally protected. Like if we're going to buy a site, you know, it's a it's a corporation we control. It's a it's a it's a lawyer that sort of is our lawyer. Like it's it's just different now. Like it, yeah. it was sort of. Uh, at the time, not like legally easy for them to do this. And we had no real say. We just thought morally they wouldn't. Right. Now, legally, they probably can't.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. Well, so then probably worked out for the best then. Right? Oh, yeah. You yeah. Protect yourself going forward. It still hurts.
1: Yeah. In the long term, you will go a lot further in the business anyway with, uh, you know, the, that kind of attitude rather than screwing somebody over for a one time uh, win. Yeah, so, I think so. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, do you want to do you, what's your what's your news article, Adam? Uh, It's not necessarily a news article. It's uh, about the Calgary Real Estate Forum. I thought it'd be a good topic given that we just spent the last 40 minutes talking about, uh, or at least half of it talking about Calgary. I did not go to the forum this year. Uh, I've gone most other years. But we've got a three-tweet summary. So this would be the three most interesting tweets from uh, from the hashtag they used for that forum. It was uh, hashtag cref16. For anybody who wants to go back and read everything, uh, obviously it's in a you know exciting market in terms of you know change right now. so We spent the last little while talking about that. But the top three, the first tweet is from Chad Bodez of JLL. And he says the Canadian economy needs to diversify. Don't lose the oil and gas industry, but let's become experts in other areas. And the thing is, when you say the Canadian economy, the Canadian economy is pretty diverse. It's really the Alberta economy that specifically needs to, you know, spread out a little bit. And I know in previous crashes this has been discussed, but I don't know that it's ever happened. Uh, you know, it's it's hard. You know, as uh, you know, Sean was saying, the trades there are more excited by oil and gas when when uh, prices are up. And why wouldn't they be? You know, they need to they need to make money right now and not worry about the long-term health of their economy it'd be it'd be hard to ignore so what do you do i I, I don't know but he, he is right diversity would have saved quite a lot of damage to that uh, that economy is' experiencing right now
0: yeah and I think calgary's gotta they have to make some changes I think they're trying to make changes but I think if any economy is that exposed to one industry you're you're exposed to this sort of thing and I think that you know Calgary knows that. I mean, they've had huge amounts of uh, tax revenue from the oil and gas industry, and I think they got to reinvest it in, um, you know, research and development, other other areas of their industry or of their of their economy. So I think that hopefully they respond that way.
1: Yeah, next time uh, you know the, the yo-yo comes back up and everybody's having a good time again. Yeah, some, yeah, I mean, it sounds like they are,
2: but you also hear that, you know, at $50 a barrel that everybody can make be profitable and, you know, they seem to maybe not have learned from their mistakes that just, oh, we'll just trim the fat and hope it doesn't happen again. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: we'll, we'll see. That was actually the theme of a couple of tweets that I didn't include today. Is that the industry has kind of gotten lean, and so it's, you know it can help them get free yeah, profitability. Yeah, I, I can't remember.
2: Lower. I'm sorry, I can't remember. But I did read today in one of the newspapers that there were the, the third quarter, um, third quarter oil and gas companies. A lot of them were were, were reporting stronger than expected growth and profit from forecasts. So that would indicate that they've they have you know basically you know gotten rid of the 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 gotten rid of the fat, and now are <clears throat> excuse me making making a bit more money again. Yeah. Um, yeah. my, my items are, are really just
1: more... No, there's two more tweets. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Go back. No problem. They're boring. Uh, <laughs> i <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> well, this one, we talked about this in the past too, but the office market there is from Sandra Easton of Blackstone Commercial. Uh, it is suburban office rents. Are down 30 percent this year we've talked about vacancy up wow. and around the 25 percent but rents are down 30 percent that makes sense yeah I mean it's uh and that's of course as an average you'd have leases that were overhanging from better times mm-hmm. so we've heard we've heard anecdotally of you know net effective. I know uh, at, zero. at first national yeah.
2: we still see a lot of stuff from Calgary uh, in all different different food groups and 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 we'll entertain I mean certainly we do a lot of apartments financing still we'll entertain industrial and retail for the right clients and the right locations for the right asset but I think office is just Absolute no-fly zone right now, and just just because of those types of numbers.
1: Yeah, and I've heard that from other lenders as well. It's just uh, that's a disaster right yeah, now. Yeah, it,
2: it, no, it's just, and there's still I, I can't remember the numbers, but it's something like you know a couple million more square feet that are just coming on board now, right? Like it's yeah. that's a that's that's a terrible situation.
1: Yeah, and the third one is uh, Frank Margani of Fortress Real Developments. Uh, stability is finally around the corner for oil prices, and the quote is the worst is over. there was actually a photo to go along with it i'll put it in the show notes and it shows uh the volatility of gas for the last couple of years then projections going forward which was the dotted line just showing that it's kind of just a moderate incline over the next couple of years this is based on information that could pan out to be true who knows Mm -hmm. but uh yeah the market could definitely use a little stability if uh, well they could use a massive price increase in oil but barring that could use stability
2: yeah, it's tough. I I don't know. if I just can't see it. I mean, just the demand for oil is just never gonna never gonna rebound, right? It's just never coming back the way it was. And yeah. it sounds like OPEC just can continue to keep pumping out barrels as much as they have in the past. Like it's the economics that just don't make sense to me.
0: Well, and Frank, I know and I like Frank a lot, but he's he's there. I mean, he's there with Brad Lamb and Calgary trying to do some developments. And so, you know, that comment doesn't come without some bias. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh, Aaron I invite yeah, sorry, you now to, go sorry. to your news sorry for cutting you off there um mine mine's not news mine's more just I just I I printed off sort of Canadian REITs and 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 really just more you know again, I I like numbers so I I thought it was interesting just to kind of list the 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 REITs that are having the, the best year uh growth Uh, And then just, just list off the sort of more of the largest REITs. I, I kind of, I kind of keep an eye on this sort of every couple of months. And it always surprises me, you know, who's, who's kind of performing the best. Uh, And then sometimes it's not surprising. So invest actually sort of at the top of the food chain right now at 41% growth year over year, uh, which is a strictly hotels REIT. I could not think of anything in particular that would have would have driven that. Oh, uh, hotel
1: valuations went nuts in the last eighteen did months. Did they? Really? Yeah. So that, yeah. there you go. So the I, guess right place I missed right that time. right
2: place, right time. Yeah. So there so that would explain that. True North commercial reit, um, not surprising. They just finished a, sort of a big acquisition, so, so that that's that's not surprising. Moorgard North American re- residential. That would that would that would make sense as well. Automotive properties. That I don't even. I've never come across that reit. But look, they got twenty one percent growth year over year. Up, yep. up to ten bucks a square foot. Have you ever? Or sorry, never ten heard bucks of a share. It. Never heard of them either so i don't know. I know a
0: lot of people are buying a lot of car dealerships as sites so you never know yes maybe that's maybe that's just yeah.
2: strictly just a, a maybe that is a car dealership car <laughs> no. dealership read i've never heard of it before but but there's something to look into maybe for our next podcast i know there is
1: one out there so that that might be it that yeah.
2: might be it yeah. and then and then the last two on the, on the list are milestone apartment REITs and pure industrial REITs both at about 20 percent year over year growth and their and their their price so that, i think milestone is just residential strictly and then and pure the, the u.s industrial. based is
1: it milestone u.s based
2: that I don't know, okay. but these are Canadian REITs only. So yeah, the, I know trades the, here, yeah, trades here. So maybe yeah. that's what that is. Um, and then the other, the other information that's just kind of find I find curious is, is really just the the, the most expensive uh, in the marketplace. Canadian read, of course, um, I think has been up there at sort of the top of the food chain for the most value, most highest value. Maybe not highest value, but highest share price certainly at forty-four bucks. I think
1: the longest running. Uh, yeah, as well, right? they've been. Yeah,
2: they're, they're they're the strongest. I think Granite Reed actually at, at forty-two bucks a square foot. Kind of, sorry, of. I keep saying that forty-two bucks square foot, forty-two bucks a share uh, surprised me with thirteen percent growth. Boardwalk Reed, Allied Reed, Smart Reed, Cap Reed, and then Brookfield. So you got a bit of a, you know, a couple residential, a couple office, uh, and a retail. So so you know what's curious to me about that is it's just it's shared, right? So you know, go through that list, you got Invest, whose hotels, you've got an automotive property. So I'm assuming that has something to do with that automotive sector, and then you've got a slew of other of other REITs that are all over the place. So it's I think that speaks just to the health of the Canadian real estate market to this point, that it's not one sector or another pulling pulling us along. It's, it it kind of seems to be pretty diversified.
1: Maybe, and, maybe all sectors are overheated. Maybe that's the message. Yeah. That's, <laughs> you should be quiet, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> well, so thanks for coming, Sean. This has been fantastic, interesting,
2: very interesting. Uh, hopefully you'll come back in a, in a little bit and, and we'll rehash and see what how you're doing with the Calgary market and, and where, it, where it turns after that. For our listeners out there, thanks for listening very much. Episode 9. Of course, you can check us out at Siri Podcast on Twitter. Um, you can download the episodes at iTunes, uh, Apple, Share. Google Play. Google Play, Google Play. Yes. thanks. <laughs> iTunes, Google Play. Uh, and then, of course, check out our website, siripodcast.ca.